Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Catherine May. Welcome to the Wintering Sessions. I am sitting in my back garden under a big parasol. It's really hot here right now. I live in the very far southeast of England, and when there's a heat wave, we always get the hottest bit every single time. And we're told that for the first time ever in the UK on Monday, the temperature's likely to go over 40 degrees centigrade, which is over 100 Fahrenheit. And that's not a temperature that I or my country are adapted to. So there's a slight feeling of panic in the air, except for some of us who are really looking forward to it, but I'm not one of those people. <sighs> and because of the heat... My Meniere's disease has kicked off. Meniere's is a condition of the inner ear where basically, I mean, this is a very big simplification, but um, you get an excess of fluid building up in your inner ear and that leaves you with a sort of severe dizziness. So I'm quite disoriented right now. <laughs> but one of the side effects of it is that all of the muscles in my body tense up because my brain thinks I'm falling 
And so every muscle in my body braces. And so I feel like I've got a whole body headache, feeling very sorry for myself. It's been a week of things not going to plan, my friends, because I was hoping to be introducing a kind of grand finale before the summer for you today. I had one of my literary heroes, Susan Cain, author of Quiet and the New Bittersweet, lined up. We'd had a wonderful conversation. She had said many, many really interesting things. And my producer emailed last week to say he'd got halfway through the edits and the file had got all mangled from, you know, 20 minutes in. So... (laughs) With some level of devastation, we're going to hold off on that. We're not sure if there's something we can do to recover the second half. Worst comes to worst, we'll put the first half out as a bonus because I'm sure there'll be wonderful things in there. But Susan's on holiday at the moment and I hope she's having a wonderful, relaxing time. And we'll see what we can do for you. However, instead of that, I've got a great treat for you. Uh, which is a re-up of an old episode. Now, I'm taking a break over the summer, so I'm planning to give you some, I don't know what the word is, like remastered versions of season one of the wintering sessions, which is when I was making it myself in my office in the middle of a pandemic with absolutely no editing skills whatsoever. And so now I have the brilliant producer Buddy on board He has agreed to take some of my original recordings and turn them into something that maybe, I don't know, sounds a bit more competent. (laughs) And I think for loads of you who listen now, maybe you didn't catch season one. So I'm really excited to get some of my favourite interviews back out there again. They were all great, but I did ask for votes um, on Instagram and on my Patreon feed. And these were the ones that came up Trump's. So, first of all, I would like to introduce to you one of the favourite conversations I had in the last couple of years with Ramona Ali, who is a journalist and writer on how to live our life, really. She's got a wonderful spiritual perspective, uh, but she's also incredibly, incredibly funny. And I know that because I went to school with her. We are both from the very glamorous suburb of Strood in Kent. I'm actually from a village just outside, uh, but that doesn't make it any more fancy. Uh, And we both went to the same school. And I, well, I I don't think either of us ever expected to be working in the media now. Uh, And so when I spotted her online a few years ago, I had to send her a message to say, is that you? Did we go to school? And it took a little while for us to realise, but um, it's just so nice to be back in touch with her. She's amazing. Anyway, that's rambling. I hope you really enjoy this conversation and I'll be back a little bit later. Hello and welcome to the Wintering Sessions with me, Catherine May. Each week I talk to a writer who's experienced a wintering period where they felt frozen out of the world. And this week I'm delighted to introduce journalist and broadcaster Ramona Ali. Welcome, Ramona. 
Hi, Catherine, and thanks for having me. Oh, I know we so tried exciting. before. And we, then we went yeah. into a two-hour chat. <laughs> we should we should own up to, to up. There's a whole load of stuff we need to own up to, isn't there, at the beginning of this podcast? <laughs> because uh, yeah, first of all, we tried this once before and it just failed. And you ended up sitting. Or succeeded. Yeah, it depending was, on how it you look at it. was lovely. I had the best time. <laughs> and you ended up sitting in your wardrobe talking to me for like two hours. <laughs> I'm back in my wardrobe again. <laughs> I love this vision of you in your wardrobe. <laughs> Um, but that is because we went to school together and yeah, yeah many many years ago we went to the I same know. school in Kent and uh, yeah. in Rochester and I think we reconnected many years later I think you connected with me on, on Twitter well so yeah and, so um, I saw you be retweeted or something on Twitter and I recognised the name instantly but because I'm face blind of course I had no idea if it was you or not and <laughs> I spent a little while looking at face thought nope not a clue and so I sent you a tweet like are you the Ramona that I went to school <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool that was such a lovely moment actually I was like oh my goodness because obviously your surname has changed yes and um, yeah, course, yeah and I was yeah. like wow she's this big hot shot I knew she would always be that because I was so I love I mean at school I was just so in awe of you you're so confident so and so clever so and like bizarre. obviously and I think nothing's really changed in that regard oh yeah Still obviously yeah way. I mean you know I'm just exuding <laughs> cleverness when I'm uh, in the 20 minutes that we've just spent for me trying to sort the sound out on my podcast <laughs> can't even do the basics honestly <laughs> look you're doing a podcast this is amazing and the book that i've been reading wintering as well it's just so beautiful oh thank um, you so beautiful oh. and what you're doing is just so brilliant just like talking to different people about wintering sessions oh, wintering periods i'm loving it's it so resonant it really resonates it was amazing yeah. i've been listening to them so yeah thank you so much for having me oh no well it's so lovely to be there and it was just it was lovely last time to catch up on like what is it 20 years worth of more than 20 years worth of life um <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. 20 years and two hours it was it was yeah it was full it throttle, was a lot. wasn't it yeah I learned a lot but I think I guess we don't ever expect to be part of an old girls network going to a state mm. school and it's just always so lovely to talk to someone that's in the same you know industry as you anyway but when you've got history with that yeah. person it's amazing so um yeah. so exciting <laughs> so since I knew you at school you have become a kind of uber journalist and broadcaster on Muslim spirituality would that be fair to say yeah that's definitely part of it yeah so on faith on uh, identity lifestyle culture I've really kind of really like been interested in exploring like what people believe how they feel their spirituality mm. and just like you know everything to do with life because it's just very holistic I see faith is very holistic and yeah. you know it's not not in a vacuum so there's so many sides to to who I am and my personality and my writing and I just wanted to you know, always like be authentic to that yeah um, absolutely and yeah. that really comes across <laughs> and I and that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today isn't it that I think what you do is you talk so beautifully about real life as a Muslim woman. You know, it's, you're, you're not a romanticiser necessarily. You kind of dig into those quandaries of real life that you've experienced. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's really important to be honest and open. Um, but at the same time, kind of 
not giving away everything that would, you know, maybe compromise other people's trust, you know, because yeah. often, you know, I'm talking about my family and it is very sensitive. And, and I think we spoke about this mm. together when we were talking about these things, you know, we, you know, we want to be so open um, and we want to be personal, but, you know, you have to also respect the, you know, the other people around you. Yes. So it, it's kind of a balance. It's finding a balance uh, in that and finding your voice as well through that. Yes, because, so. I mean, I think that's the eternal dilemma of the kind of mm. memoirist or life writer. So I've been putting together these courses lately for people who write from life and I absolutely love doing it. But I think Wonderful. one of the parts of that I've really wrestled with is the ethical component. Like how do you teach people about the ethics of being someone who, mm. like when you write from your own life, you always touch on other people's and that's crunchy, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I've often, sometimes when I've written pieces, I've actually had to, you know, just check with my brother or my sister or my mum and go, mm. look, I'm, I'm talking about this. It's really personal to all of us. So is this all right? Is the way I'm saying this okay for you? And, you know, and often they're like, yeah, no, that's fine. Mm. Because I'm always conscious of that, that, you know, this is their emotions as well that I'm talking about. It's not only my own because we have this shared grief or shared loss, you know, when, yeah. when, when we lost my, my father, for example. So, you know, conveying that in a public space is it can be really daunting, mm. but also it can be really empowering, you know, and sharing some of my experiences in, you know, in public, you know, I've, I've had the most incredible responses to yeah. it, you know, not only from from strangers, but also from my own family members, because it's like, a you know, you process your grief in a certain way. And yes. I've, I've certainly been able to do that. I've certainly been able to process, you know, those times in my life that have been traumatic or painful mm. and you know that that writing it really does help as you you know you completely know yes, you know it yeah. really does help you kind of yeah. you know channel that and I like, understand how you're feeling about those moments in hindsight and at the time mm. so yeah it, it's definitely my, my writing has definitely helped me and I and I hope also my family members yeah and I I mean I sometimes get some kind of askance comments about why on earth I'd write about my own dirty laundry essentially <laughs> Um, and yeah, yeah. I, it is hard. I mean, and I, that process of writing can be really painful and kind of gut wrenching and oh, yeah. it drags out all your shame and all of your kind of self-loathing sometimes and your, definitely your grief. It's definitely, there's always oh, definitely. A, a, you know, stuff that surfaces that you still feel terrible about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, you know, it is, it is, it is gut-wrenching. Like when mm. you're writing, it's not easy, you know, no. it's not easy to write uh, in this way, in this open way and digging deep into your soul and yes. just like bringing it out. You know, I was really nervous about, you know, the reactions to some of my writing. Mm. Um, what I was saying, like, you know, when I, uh, The Guardian like commissioned me to write something, a moment that changed uh, my life you know, or the one thing that, that worked. And I was like, well, you know, there are a few things, but like one of them was my broken engagement where that just kind of went really bad. And yeah. like, you know, talking about that was was difficult. And I was really, I was scared and I was feeling a little bit sick about it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, know, but, it, so that's really great that we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the segue. You can, yeah, you can feel sick all over again, Ramona. I'm giving oh, you that opportunity great. right now. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I've got lots of clothes around me, so it's all right. I can absorb it. <laughs> I'm so glad you're in your protective wardrobe. <laughs> I am. I am. My little room of my wardrobe. But I, I, I mean, I because I read that article and I thought it was wonderful. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. But I think 
one of the things that that does when I read about that story is that it tells me a very different story about Muslim women that I guess we don't hear very much. Yeah. I think that's one of the really important things that life writing does. So tell mm. me first of mm. all about the plans you had. How did you mm. how did you meet your partner and mm. what was the what was the deal? Yeah. So this was a long, long time ago. Um, I was in my 20s. I think I was around 24. So this is well over 15 yeah, years ago. A long and time ago. I, you know, as a good Muslim girl, I didn't really have any relationships at all uh, growing up. Mm. Um, I remember at school when we used to go to like, <laughs> you know, parties or whatever, I used to just to stay away from everybody. And there was like all these kind of like discos and I'd be oh, sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else, you know, yeah. those school discos. And, you know, and I was, you know, I was brought up with, you know, freedom and, you know, liberal values and Islamic values. And, you know, and I just, I knew that, you know, boys were kind of off limits. So when I met my ex-fiance, I was, you know, quite naive, a um, bit of a romantic. And I met him outside of a traditional setting, which is like normally at that time, we'd have people come over, mm. you know, suitors come over to the house to meet you. I and love like, that word, you know, suitor. Suitor. I know it's so it's sounds so fantastic. like archaic. <laughs> no, it sounds great. I'd love to have had suitors. <laughs> I know it's like Jane Austen time or something, you know. Um so we used to have like people call up. There used to be some kind of like auntie network and they would call up the house and call my mum and say, Oh, I know a, a suitable boy who is, you know, whatever height, whatever like skin colour. So stupid. Oh, wow. Um there is so much colorism in the Asian communities as well. And then they would come over with their parents and probably their entire families sometimes. And um yeah, we just sit very awkwardly in, in the living room and have samosas and tea and kind of chat marriage. That and sounds incredibly with, awkward. Oh, it was so terrible. Oh, it was honestly the worst experiences of my life. Um terrible. <laughs> Um, so when I kind of met my ex-fiance, it was beyond that setting. So I met him at some demonstration in London, my first demo that I went to, wow. and I was like, oh, right on. And, um, yeah, and it was, and it felt like, oh, this is it. This is free from all that kind of cultural setting. And this was, like, I just met him and I quite liked him and he liked me. Yeah. And so I kind of was on cloud nine a little mm. bit and couldn't believe that someone liked me as well. <laughs> So <laughs> that was a bit of a shocker. Now, now. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything's so artificial normally and, you know, nothing was organic. So this kind of yeah, happened a bit more organically. So I was quite excited and, you know, told my parents about him. They weren't that happy because, you know, at the time he, you know, he didn't really have a, a good job. Um, he didn't have a degree. Right. And, you know, with Asians, it's like, you know, you've got to you know, give financial security to my daughter. Yeah, so yeah. that for that reason, they, they weren't too happy. But, you know, when they saw how happy I was, they accepted it. Mm. And they were happy for me. And they told the world about it. And so the whole world knew about my engagement. Like even the taxi driver, the local taxi driver knew about it. You know, that's just the nature <laughs> of how like, Asians are. They just like, it's an, a hot, it's an entire community getting married when it's you getting married. You know, everyone is in on it. Yeah. So, um, and like, actually throughout um, my knowing him and my relationship with him, it was actually, there were so many alarm bells ringing that I kind of just dismissed because I thought, no, I, I met him and, yeah. you know, I'm the one that brought him home and, you know, it, this can't be right. He, he's, he's perfect. You know, it, my, I'm the issue. So I kind of dismissed a lot of those kind of doubts and those niggles. Mm -hmm. um, 
about him. Uh, I don't really want to talk about what him. What the downside? I'm going to focus on, on, on my own feelings a little bit. That comes you know, back to those respect. ethics that we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that we kind again, of try those and ethics, yes. Those ethics are coming in. Um, yeah, so, and I eventually kind of had this huge panic attack. Right. A week before our engagement where oh I goodness. couldn't breathe, I couldn't eat, and this all happened at his mother's house. <gasps> and it was horrible. And my mum was with me, my sister, we'd gone like kind of shopping for like engagement gifts for each other. Mm. And yeah, and I and I think that's where it came to a head, you see, because I kept, you know, you know, brushing it under the carpet, mm. thinking, oh, we'll be okay. I just need to get through this and get to the engagement. And then this huge, like my body literally just you know yeah. conked out oh yeah and, I know that only um, too well and I often you, think yeah that, you know yeah I know, I know all about those <laughs> in fact by the time I left school I couldn't get into school without having one of them it was really fun times yeah. but I often think that panic attacks are something that arrives when you're ignoring your feet you know you've ignored your feelings for too long and your body just finds this way going no come on you yeah. know here I am yes yes that's exactly what it was mm. it was like okay you're not listening to me your mind is not listening yeah. you're not listening to your mind so right I'm gonna I, the I'm body gonna to make act. you listen yeah it and it did it really did well it almost did um so I kind of was pretty flawed at that time mm. but I was kind of I was speaking to some members of my family and I was just describing how I was feeling and one of them my brother was like I think you're basically you you're depressed Wow. And your brother um, is, is it, he's a doctor, isn't he? He's a doctor. Yeah. yeah, he's a doctor. And um, yeah, and he said, Look, you know, do you want to go on pills? You know, do you want to have Prozac? Mm. Or I was like, Listen, I don't want any, any antidepressants. I need to get through this in my own way. Mm. So I literally turned to my faith. That was the only thing I could cling to because I felt like I was plunged into this place where yeah. it was just a dark place of complete loneliness. Mm. And, um, so, the, yeah, I only had my faith. And there's this verse in the Quran that says that God is closer to you than your jugular vein. <laughs> and I'd never felt the meaning of that until that time. Like, well, no, yeah. You know, just that really came to me because I felt like nobody was really hearing me. Mm. And so I kind of turned to my faith, but then I still, I, I still went through with the engagement. <laughs> and um, I, it was the unhappiest day of my life. Um, oh my I was just goodness, looking at the photos so thinking sad. I looked dead behind the eyes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's terrible um but you know we had it was like a big party because we don't do things by half we had like a marquee <laughs> in the garden a cake I mean oh I mean it, it was like a wedding it was like a mini wedding and everyone in my all my relatives in India knew and everyone was calling oh my gosh wow. it was just dreadful um the stakes and I thought, are okay, so high so I mean. high so high yeah. so yeah it wasn't just you know my own kind of like trauma I was dealing with it was like you know, thinking about what kind of trauma and pain would I bring to everyone else mm. as well if mm. I if I say no and I can't do this. But I eventually did. I eventually did do that. And it was really, really, really difficult. And I kind of lost sense of, of who I was in that in that process. I think you you say so beautifully in your book, like you fall into gaps of somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. And I and I was reading that thinking, I fell into the gaps of someone else as right. well that's interesting you know and I didn't yeah. recognize myself I lost sense of who mm. I was I forgot how to smile oh, I kept beating so... myself up you know and can I thought how you know even I remember one uncle saying to me you know we trusted you we trusted your judgment and he was just so surprised and that <laughs> made me feel even worse wow that's quite um, a harsh comment though isn't it because I know does have that level of mm. judgment about 
I mean, that's, you know, choosing a partner is the hardest oh choice. You're, you know, if, if you position yeah. it as a choice, you know, it's the yeah. hardest thing to do because you just cannot tell everything about somebody else. And you can't tell yeah. everything about yourself even. You don't know what you're going to feel yeah. like 10 years yeah. down the line. It's it's a tricky, tricky decision to make really. oh totally totally and it's it, it's it is kind of almost unforgivable in a way mm. <laughs> with with me I, I I didn't I certainly couldn't forgive myself for a really long time because I thought you know I've brought everybody to this point it's my fault you know I didn't trust my judgment early enough you know and I was the one who's pushing it because I was this silly romantic <laughs> who didn't, was totally inexperienced and you know uh, I just beat myself up way way too much mm. and 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 also there was this this time where I thought, okay, now I need to choose. Just before I made the decision to break it off, I was like, I literally have destiny in my hands. Like, what do I choose? Wow. You know, do I, you know, whatever I choose is my path. So I was like, okay, so do I break it off or do I go for it? Because actually, in a way, breaking it off was much harder. Yeah, definitely. You know, go doing it would have been easier because it would have been the easy one. But then ultimately, it would have been the worst thing for me. So I just had to do it completely on my own and I, and I decided and it took me a long time to recover. Um, I wow. think the first time I smiled was about three months later or something. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it was really bad. It was really bad. I'm laughing now, but you know, it, it was, it was, it was extraordinarily difficult and dark and, you know, I didn't even say the word uh, depression really until much, much later. Yeah. Because it's something that you think, oh no, that this doesn't happen to me. It happens to other people. You know, why would it happen to me? But I, I do now recognise that I was depressed. I, I, do you know what? I actually think we've forgotten that you and I come, I mean, like, like I'm 42, I'm not going to give your age away, but we're in the same class <laughs> in school. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, <I'm> now. <laughs> so it's important to be honest, but not all the time. But, but actually, <laughs> sorry, couldn't resist that one. Um, but when we were growing up, like depression was not normalised, I don't think. And yeah. it was not talked about in the way it's spoken about now. And I'm so it grateful. Taboo. It, is. it yeah. was taboo. Mm. And I, you know, I was first diagnosed with depression when I was uh, 16. And oh I remember a member of my family saying, you can't be depressed. Like that doesn't happen to yeah. people your age, you know. And I, you know, like not only did I feel terrible because I was depressed, but also I felt terrible that I'd kind of bought this humiliation which meant that we as a family were somehow faulty you know as well as me personally oh. and it, oh gosh you know oh gosh like I can feel that yeah. pain I can feel it right now <gasps> yeah and I you know had, having to go into school completely. and talk to it you know talk mm. to kind of random teachers about it you know who our head of year was at that point and whether you'd want to mm. tell her about your depression <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I we forget how much that conversation's changed for the better and how much more open we are about mm. it. But I can well imagine that. But it's only recent though, isn't it? So I mean, it hasn't, recent. Very yeah. recent. Yeah. And I can very imagine how hard it was for you to recognise it, you know, mm. to see it for what it was because the information wasn't really there. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And when you're not really recognising it, you're kind of very scared of it. Mm. And, you know, and, and also with the whole cultural background, you know, it was it was even like like a double taboo. Right. And then like a triple taboo with like my Muslim background. But even though, you know, there is recognition of trauma and pain, 
mm. within that tradition and you know and reassurance as well which you know I only really found it in my faith and and you know a lot of my friends were even like you know what's going on because I couldn't yeah. really explain what was going on I kept saying look he's just not right for me and I couldn't explain to them why but there was something in my gut and mm. in my core that was telling me do not do this yeah so yeah so I would kind of even do this guidance prayer I was doing a guidance prayer at the time um <clears throat> that Muslims do when they kind of want to take a decision right and um that sounds handy can we all do it's very <laughs> can we borrow that? it's a very good get out clause as well <laughs> yeah yeah I've, I've used like it's called like my my kind of like god disclaimer so i'm like you know it's not in the, my destiny god hasn't written it for me so you know i'm not meant to be with you um so so i kind of it was like it basically kind of goes along the lines of you know if this thing is good for me then you know you know bring me closer to it and mm. you know make it good for for me and my end and if it's bad for me then just you know remove me from it and right. remove it from me so it's it's for people who are kind of a bit more uncertain i kind of did it for an assurance that it was a confirmation of what i had i already felt deep down inside yeah and um it yeah. did and every time i thought about breaking it off i did feel some kind of relief so that's, that's so why i just i did it i did it and very literally just a few months later i broke off the engagement and i remember telling my my dad like it was i think it was ramadan at the time and um, oh, that's a good moment <laughs> A very good moment. I'm like, okay, this is a good month to use. And he, because he didn't know, my mum was like, you know, don't tell him yet because, you know, he, he was so excited mm. and, you know, he was also not well at the time. So he, you know, he came home from the mosque and I was waiting up for him. And I said, you know, dad, I just need to talk to you. I, I just can't, I can't do this. Wow. I can't marry this guy. And he was literally held me, hugged me on, oh. on the sofa. And it was just the most reassuring moment for me yeah. like he just he just said like don't worry about everything I will sort everything out I will tell everybody you don't need to worry <gasps> that gives and me I chills. was just like oh it was just the most of it I was just crying and uh, yeah and I just felt so much so much comfort and reassurance and um you know and he and he really did he really he he kind of said he, he was the one that called it off um, wow. and you know, he wrote letters to, to all like kind of the important relatives and it, it, it just, he took so much pressure off my shoulders, mm. um, you know, and, 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 and it was a way, it was kind of like, you know, trying to like, so it comes from a kind of a place of, of like authority as well. So, yeah. so people won't say, won't question it so much. You won't go, what's going on? What are you talking about? You know? So he kind of removed that for He me. kind of shielded you. I mean, that's shielded me. A beautiful yeah, thing did. to give to your children, I think. Yeah. If you yeah, can just shield so them grateful. from a little bit of harm while they're figuring the hard stuff out, I think that's a that's a wonderful yeah. thing to do. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'll never ever forget that. We'll be back to Ramona in a minute, but I just wanted to take a short pause to tell you about a workshop I'm holding in Rockport, Maine, I know, American soil, on the 8th of August this year. Um, I will be working with the brilliant Alyssa Altman to deliver a day retreat courtesy of Barn Swallow Books. And the workshop is called On Comfort. It's a whole day to join us and explore what comfort, sustenance and homecoming mean to you. So I'll be working with 
the group first to explore feelings of being at home, of being comfortable and cosy and how we can create an environment that makes us feel safe and from which we can springboard into the work we need to do in the outside world. Alyssa will be working to explore what food means, the idea of comfort food but reimagined. So thinking about how we can truly sustain our minds and bodies through the act of cooking, preparing and eating food, which I know is such a complicated issue for so many of us. There will be a light lunch included and at the end of the day, a lovely communal supper so we can all get together and break bread or something else if you're gluten-free. We know how it goes. There's a link in my bio to explore more about the workshops, but do take a look quickly because I know they're going to book up quickly. It's the only workshop I'm running on American soil this year and it's my first ever So if you can come, please do. I'd love to see you there. Okay, back to Ramona. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. People absorb your wintering as well, like, you know. You know, there is this, even for myself, there's an empathy of wintering where you take on other people's sadness and grief. Mm. And, you know, it does help. It's kind of distributed a bit more, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, you know, sometimes that empathy, it, it just becomes your own winter, doesn't it? When, when people are going through that because yeah. you're so close to that person. You can take yeah, small and, bits away from people, can't you? You can just lift the burden and yeah. share it for a while. Yeah sharing is it really it really helps so much and and not only with your own family members but also with you know with just general people mm. like you know the, the 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 article that i wrote had so many hits worldwide it apparently wow. had like 160,000 hits like in the first week or something you know so that means that there was this this recognition you know yes. people go through this pain there's this collective sense of it collective sense of of wintering going on and the collective sense of the resilience as well. So mm. people kind of saw that. And I got so many messages saying I've been through something really similar. Mm. And that kind of assured me and at the same time really alarmed me. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh no, everyone's going through this pain. But at the same time, you're like, you know, this is life. This is what human beings go through. And, yes, you know, and it's, exactly. these are all lessons and they build us. They build, they, you know, we have to be broken down in order to be built yeah. up again. Yeah. And 
you know, just to get, you know, have those those scars, but you know, you carry them with with more wisdom and more kind of clarity, and you know, going forward. So it's, mm. you know, that was very overwhelming for me to to have that that kind of empathy from people, and you know, you realise how deep it goes, how deep these roots go it's, in all of us. It's that moment of feeling part of a big human community which I think we glimpse yeah. so rarely but often we glimpse that in our moments of intense pain actually and, and when we see other and, mm. and actually that takes me right back to what I was talking about when we started about life writing just gives us those points of contact with other human beings and their humanity and their commonality with you that and that is the best writing isn't it oh for when me there is every resonance. time when Every yeah like when people can recognize themselves and their emotions and their experiences in your words mm, you know it's the most incredible feeling what a privilege to be able to write that too i mean i honestly i'll never stop being grateful for <laughs> for being able to put that most Absolutely. painful material out there and and to always have that find a mirror that reflects me back at myself i think that's just yes yeah yeah definitely like you, you that's it that's exactly what it is it is a mirror mm. and you know and also you you're you're giving a sense of honor to, to what you've gone through yes it, it, there is a dignity to it you know yes. in the way you're conveying it and that is what people will also recognize you're not just kind of like I'm, I'm sending this all the all this stuff out there for sympathy and people kind of going yeah going, oh, I feel you blood you, you yeah. know <laughs> You know, there is integrity there and, mm. you know, people really appreciate that you're being authentic and yes. you're being open um, and, and, and you're being dignified about it as well. Well, I, th so, I think it yeah. returns dignity to it because often the whole experience is very chaotic and yeah. it's not That's ever, right. you never get your narrative arc, you know, <laughs> you never get your kind of perfect sort of beginning, middle and end and sense of closure but that creation of the story of it, I think, helps to reintegrate everything and returns the dignity to that, to the moment, I suppose. Yeah, that was beautifully said. That was beautifully put. I'm loving yeah, this. This definitely. is, I, this is, it says everything to me about writing as a kind of spiritual practice, actually, and a, as an mm. act of prayer, almost, as an act of oh, yeah, worship, exactly somehow, of, of something that's bigger than you are, even if that's intangible. You sound like a Sufi Muslim. That, this is exactly... <laughs> That is exactly That's it. That's never been said before, but I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is. It honestly is. It is. It is sacred. Yeah, mm. what we're writing is sacred because our existences are sacred. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and we are all spiritual beings. Mm. You know, whatever our beliefs are, we are all spiritual beings. And, you know, there is something deep within us that we need to convey to the world. And when people recognize that and there's a bridge there, there is a beautiful universality yeah. of, of spirit and, 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 and love and compassion and understanding. And, and, you know, and I think your writing does that. And it does it so beautifully. That, I try very you know, hard me... to do that, you know. <laughs> well, but only because... It's hard. You know, it is hard. It is hard. It's, it's not really easy. Hard. But um... I also think like, you know, like I come from a, an atheist kind of culturally Christian background yeah. um, where spirit... yeah. I had no template for discussing my spiritual sense of the world um, and was very wary of it too because, you know, religion was always talk to me as kind of control and something to be resisted 
So I kind of wanted to communicate with people like me who are a bit wary of anything that's got rules behind it, but who want that yeah. spiritual engagement with the world. That's that's definitely my aim. But it's very hard to talk about that in the UK specifically as well, I think. I, that conversation is much easier in America. Yeah, yeah. We're no, kind of... I completely, yeah. So there is a move towards like more spirituality via like kind of mindfulness and mm. things like that it, it there is this need and yearning for it mm. um you know and, and for me personally like you know I've obviously I've, I've been brought up in a religious uh setting and yeah. upbringing but you know and I wasn't I wasn't someone who liked rules <laughs> either <laughs> um you know and I didn't want I never wanted to approach it like a set of do's and don'ts you know, for me, it was just about expressing who I was. It was very liberating. Mm. You know, it was like, you know, seeing the beauty of my faith and seeing, you know, how it can open up so many doors to me and also make me really understand who I am and, you know, help me in self-development. So I kind of, that's how I approached my faith. And yeah. I still approach my faith in that way. I just see it as very dynamic and very nuanced. You know, people always try and put it in a box and it really, it does not belong in a box. You know, it belongs everywhere. And, and I think it belongs to everyone as well, Yeah, you know, because that's, that's the sacredness in, in all of us. And that's what lets you be of such service to other people as well. That's, that's what you, yeah. that's, you know, that's how you feed it back into the world. You know, you take in that yeah. wisdom and you go out and, and it helps. It helps. Yes. That's exactly what the right, yeah, what the writing is all about as well. Yeah. Like that's what you're doing. Like it is a service. It's also it's a service to yourself and to others. Yeah, and it is bringing benefit. You know, and that's why we do need to be honest. And, and you know, honesty is 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 a challenge, but ultimately it is it is something that is a human experience that everybody will appreciate and recognize mm. and you know we'll grow from each other's experiences you know I feel like I you know you grow every time you read anything it is yeah. there is a growth in there it's definitely a like a plant or a seed that just keeps growing and growing I love that's why I love reading um <laughs> work yeah. and experiences and I always want to know about everybody else's lives I'm like, what's going on with you <laughs> not in the way of like kind of celebrity gossip but you know what people go through like I think I was listening to uh, Sheryl Sandberg's oh um, right was it Desert Island Discs was it I did I didn't call that. Oh, it was just, I think it was just about her losing her husband. Right, yeah, that's Cheryl Sandberg, yeah. And it was so, oh my God, you're crying with her, you're mm. feeling that pain with her. And that recognition of pain is so important. Like, you know, gr I feel like grief personifies in each one of us and it becomes mm. like two people who recognize each other when you, oh, so that's when amazing. you're, you know, yeah. you know, I guess like, so, you know, me. Sing, listening to what you've gone through and your loss you know it it helps you doesn't it to, yes to yeah kind of, you know it, you do see it as 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 a as a person yeah almost and, and your uh, grieving like self meets meeting. other grieving selves I think Th those yeah. those two can always be in dialogue whenever you meet someone who's lost someone those two parts of your of each person can always talk <laughs> there's always something totally. there yeah. even in the silence like honestly like mm. your souls just like can hear each other yeah, it's just inc it is incredible, and I and I felt that with you know one of my closest friends had a you know she lost her baby in a mm. stillbirth, and it was one of the darkest moments of her life and and of mine. Yeah, you know because I kind of took on her pain and her trauma, and then you know it also happened in our own family where my sister lost her her baby, and that also again because I was kind of almost prepared for it with my friend, it just happened right. recently before wow. that loss. It kind of prepared me for that in a way you know but then I it, the pain was 
so deep like you feel yeah, like it's hard to imagine is, deeper you, pain you can than that actually feel the heart breaking it's yeah. actually actually feel the cracks you felt the cracks mm. um so i'd ne- I, and i thought i knew pain i thought i knew pain <laughs> and then you know pain's just like yeah no this is this is how it feels this is how it can really feel yeah, you know that's so life for you. <laughs> that is life you don't know pain really lady. yeah yeah and just watching how my friend and my sister just you know came out of that and how they found the strength to come out of that was extraordinary and it gave me strength as well it was kind of like a symbiotic uh, kind of relationship going on like you know we were kind of I was supporting and then she was supporting me and it was yeah it was extraordinary it's It's extraordinary this empathy is just you know of wintering is extraordinary it's a Um, it's a a wonderful thing this has been like the best conversation that I've had for years with anyone like I've got absolute chills it's just so beautiful and I just me too yeah it's really lovely <laughs> we could just sit here and have a little cry now couldn't we have you <laughs> yeah I mean I think we probably will need to yeah, afterwards maybe, maybe I might have a cup of tea in a minute and um, I want to oh, ask no, you one tea, final thing before, <laughs> before we go off for our little individual cries did you <laughs> did you come to a point many years after after all the kind of pain and the embarrassment of breaking off that engagement and all of those that big cluster of feelings and the confusion did you ever come to a point of clarity about why you needed to do it wow that's a big one um (laughs) we're doing big ones today that's where we are big big endings big (laughs) endings I think that I had clarity even around the time that I made the decision Mm. but you know I knew that I was doing the right thing so I never ever had regret about the decision that I made to break it off. Yeah. But the clarity, it became clearer as I went along because I actually heard things that reconfirmed that I made right. the right decision from others, other right. people's experiences of that person. Um, so, but you know, for years I couldn't forgive myself mm. until mm. I think this was many years afterwards, I kept beating myself up about it. And then I think I went to some talk by a Muslim scholar and he said, look, you know, you keep asking God for forgiveness, but you need to forgive yourself. You need to know that that prayer has been accepted and answered. Mm. And then you've got to let it go. you just got to let it go. Because you, you, I kept praying over and over. For the like, same. I kept saying, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry I've done this. And then there was a moment of release where I was like, okay, I'm not going to make this prayer. I'm not going to offer this prayer anymore. I'm going to let it fly. I'm just, Mm. I've done it. I've done with it. And I know that I've been forgiven. And I know that it's set me free now. Why am I chaining myself in this way? It was like shackles, invisible shackles on yourself. And then, and that's, I think probably that's my real moment of of clarity. And that's true Um, faith, faith that your prayers are actually answered, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, Um, and faith that you can. And just believing in yourself that you made the right decisions. Because, you know, these what ifs and why didn't I do this? And, you know, they just destroy you. Mm. And you need to nurture yourself, not kill yourself. You know, so I, it really helped. That really helped me. And um, actually that entire experience now, it was a huge lesson for me and it built up who I am. It really did because I, it enabled me to kind of dive deep into my emotions and to understanding myself better. Oh, I can so, tell. I can yeah. tell. I mean, I, I, you know, like when you meet someone that you knew kind of then and now, I think you're probably yeah. more aware of the contrast than most, but you are so 
Oh, I don't know. Self-actualized <laughs> is a really naff term. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, let's use it. Let's use it. <laughs> let's, do it let's do it. Let's do it. But I, you, you inhabit yourself fully in a way that not many people do, I don't think. And it, it just shows. It shows. You've, you've grown so much wisdom since I last knew you, and it's extraordinary. Yeah, since I was that silly girl at school. Oh, weren't we all? <laughs> oh, my days. I just... Mm. No, that's really no. I really appreciate that, though. No, I do. That was that was really lovely, really nice to hear. And I'm taking it, and I'm gonna like take that soundbite and play it back to myself every morning. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I knew self-actualized. Now I just feel like that's enough language. <laughs> but you know what I mean. My heart was in the right place. No, I no, I completely know what you mean, though. Like there is a comfort there, um, mm. and a confidence in who you're, uh, in who you are, in your sense of self and it's a learn it's a constant journey though Catherine I have to say yeah. like I still I still get so much self-doubt and you know is- confidence issues and and, and anxiety yeah. and it's a constant battle but you know what your strengths are you know what your weaknesses are better at, you know at this time in our lives than you know perhaps in our when we were at school or mm-hmm. in my 20s when I was going through that experience yeah and kind of a journey into yourself is so so crucial and so revealing and Mm. these emotions you know we we're still learning we're still learning within them like you know I don't I still I don't know what love is still I still don't know what grief really is you know it's Mm. it's a it's a constant constant learning curve I I just think that we we don't talk about ourselves as a work in progress enough and like if Mm. we ever give each other the impression that anyone can be fixed and have it sorted once and for all then we're doing great harm mm, like, definitely <laughs> the, yeah the journey is the point and um yeah yeah and I yeah we like, haven't got it sorted oh, it's not like oh yeah I've done that and now I know everything you know I don't even want to get it sorted I mean can you imagine how no. boring it would be if you you had it sorted but we you <laughs> yeah, know we exactly. carry on kind of cycling through change and every yeah. time we cut it's a spiral rather than a circle so we move up a little bit maybe um hopefully mm. if we if we take enough time to reflect but maybe we don't always manage to do that but it's never gonna stop that's not the point of this you know yeah that's that's absolutely not how this works and I I think that too much of our culture talks about okay here's how it's done like stuff solvable and we have to start seeing that's totally undesirable and totally unwise and totally cold it's not even interesting to me at all. I'm, totally, yeah. I like the I mean, work. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It is. I mean, it was. It's what keeps us alive, really, isn't it? Mm. You know, and 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 ticking, and you know, it's. It, oh, I just thought of something really clever to say, and it's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought of something, and it's literally oh, gone. But just think, ain't just that know, it was going to be the best thing. It was going to be the best thing on oh, this podcast. I know I'd have felt now. nourished by it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's oh, so that's funny. Amazing. I'm so sorry. I don't know where it went. It really it went somewhere. No, we felt it. Um, we felt it. You downloaded it. It's fine. We've got you, it. Yeah. Did you feel it? I did. I did. I did. Basically, whatever you said. I'll just say that again. Oh, Ramona, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me and for just saying such amazing things that have given me chills. It's just been wonderful. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. Everything you've said has just been beautiful and spectacular and meaningful. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been wonderful. (laughs) 
Can you hear that wood pigeon in the background? I know loads of people absolutely hate the sound of wood pigeons. They always come up on lists whenever they're made of people's least favourite bird songs. People find them really noisy. But I find that sound really always transports me back to sitting in my grandparents' garden in the middle of summer, a bit like it is today. And I must have been really small because my grandma had poured me a bowl of water, like a sort of washing up bowl of water to sit in. And I love the sound of them. They're quite annoying though, I do accept. I've got two that fight in the tree that overhangs my garden all the time. They're just constantly battling with each other. I don't know what's upset them so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. So good to hear it again, honestly. It's amazing how my little lockdown project has come so far. And it's about to change a bit. We're kind of coming to the end of our third season. And I've realised it's time to make a bridge, I think, between wintering and my new book, Enchantment, which will be coming out next March. So I need to freshen up the format a bit from October. So there's still going to be loads of things that are just the same. It's still going to be about rambling, intimate conversations with really, really interesting people. But I'm going to be changing the focus a little, as I have in the last few episodes anyway, to focus on the question of what we do now in the face of all the changes we've so recently endured. And that means I can talk to maybe a wider range of people, but it also means, I think, that I'll be addressing the shift that so many of us are feeling right now. That sense that there are new battles to fight, definitely, but also there's a new world to be won, the breeze is just blowing up as I said that. I love talking about change and having the wind running through my hair. <laughs> I think that there were some things that happened in the pandemic that were terrible, many, many things that were terrible. But there were some things that made us realise that the lives we'd been living weren't sustainable. And there were some things we just did not want to go back to. And some changes that we wanted to make that were permanent. And for me, there's a big, wide open space out there in which I need to talk about what we do now, what we do next, how we should think about this world and what toolkit we can draw on almost to inspire and elevate us in the world to come. That's all I'll say for now. I'll be launching a new name and probably a new visual identity after the summer. But for now, I just wanted to tell you all about it because I'm really excited. I'm really ready to take this more seriously, you know. It's been a couple of years since I've been making the wintering sessions and I've started to see myself as a podcaster in a way that I didn't before. So yeah, that's where I am right now. I hope you're having a really lovely summer and I'll be back really soon with another re-upped episode. See you later.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 